So here I am, the first entry, Field Talk 1. I'm filled with a sense of accomplishment and excitement for what's to come, but I'm also insecure about how it'll be received. This first episode with Travis McDonald gave me a chance to practice my interviewing skills, but it was also a little bit of a goodbye since he was about to move to China to teach science at an international school. Travis is not only an incredible teacher, world traveler, and songster, but he is one of my oldest friends in Taiwan. We met at an open mic he was hosting back in 2014, and we've shared many experiences together over the years. He has been my partner in a number of projects and has always had a positive and open outlook to just about any crazy idea I've come up with. I hope that the episode resonates with listeners and leaves them eager for more as Travis and I discuss how to find inspiration in everyday activities, the importance of reflecting on progress and tracking it to continue growth, how we apply lessons from music to teaching, along with embracing interdisciplinary learning while being patient and consistent in our journey. From the classroom to the world of music, this talk with Travis circles the core themes of finding inspiration, developing creativity, and exploring multidisciplinary approaches that I plan to explore throughout this podcast. And stay tuned till the end of the episode where I wrap up with the action items we can apply from this discussion. Welcome to the journey, everyone. It's time to get creative. All right, Travis. Well, uh, thanks for taking the time, obviously, to come here and be in my little humble studio. I do love it here. (laughs) Thanks. Even the cat that we're cat sitting currently really enjoys this room because it's super quiet. Yeah, it's very quiet in here. You have padding on the walls and the ceilings, the windows. I like your plants. Those are new additions. Yeah, Tweety's helped me with those um, recently, and uh, they do help a lot with the vibe, I guess. Mm, Yeah. So you studied psychology and philosophy and your undergraduate. Uh, you grew up in the, I guess, what would you call it? Mid-Eastern part of the United States, close to Washington, D.C. Yeah, Maryland. And, uh, you know, you, you, you've had a diverse um, journey, I guess you could say. And I'm interested to hear about your experiences as an artist and how you've come to your role as an educator. Sure, yeah. Uh, definitely, uh a lot of the lessons that I've learned playing music have been really helpful to me as an educator. Just um, listening, interacting with people, improvising, um, and following these these vibes and these dynamics, uh, paying attention to people very closely uh, to see where they are. super crucial in music, and it's one of the most important things in teaching as well, actually gauging where your students are, their interests, their knowledge, their understanding. But then also, uh, teaching has similarly informed my music playing. And um, I definitely have had a lot of parents who know that I play music because I performed at our school at different events and things. And they'll ask me, like, oh, my kid's really interested in playing music. Like, where should I start? Um, so often I'll tell them, like, just start at the basics. It's just like in math class, you know, we're, we want to get down the fundamentals of addition before we work on multiplication. We want to understand the multiplication tables and be really good with them before we work on long division, before we do algebra, because if you're doing algebraic expressions and you don't have these basic multiplication tables down, you're going to have a lot of trouble. Same thing in music. Like for me, my parents got me started on... Uh, drumming first not not like you not a big drum kit um but just like hand drumming i took like african drumming lessons at this uh summer camp for a few years in a row starting at the age of like five so drumming and dancing getting the fundamentals of rhythm i think um can be really helpful like i've had some students who they're very good melodically or in their tone playing violin or uh playing guitar or even piano but if their rhythm isn't good, then you can't really connect with their music. Uh, it's hard to listen to, and it's certainly hard to play along with. So like gauging the rhythm, uh, like I'm trying to gauge the rhythm of the conversation right now and uh, let you interject something. <laughs> yeah, I would certainly agree. I mean, just being uh, a percussionist, you know, and a drummer myself, um, 
it, it wasn't something that I remember specifically being introduced to me as a separate kind of thing until I joined uh, a band like a, you know, the sixth grade <laughs> was the transition point for my school where it's like, what instrument would you like to play? And uh, I gravitated toward drums for whatever reason it was in my head. I thought it looked cool or my friends were doing it or whatever it was. It is cool. <laughs> so it, it became more significant to me that this is its own independent part of music that can be focused on outside of this melodic content or harmonic content. And uh, yeah, a lot of kids, I think, do kind of miss that whole aspect Sometimes. I mean, some kids want to be like a super rock star and they want to like play power chords on their guitar and play punk rock or more like pop punk, but whatever. They want to rock out and be awesome. And it's like, cool, but you still have to focus on the fundamentals. Same thing, like I get kids who want to be a piano virtuoso or like this incredible violinist. And it's like, you still need to focus. Like everybody wants to jump the gun and, and just like go from zero to a hundred. And it's like, nope. There are a hundred steps between here and there. You need to step on each one firmly if you want to get all the way to the top. You can't take shortcuts. You're going to make mistakes. You're going to miss things, you know? I'm sure all of us have missed something at some point by trying to do exactly that because you get so close to some goal that you, you have, whether it be a, a particular piece of music that you'd like to play, but you haven't really mastered some skill that you should have prior to trying that. Um, so everybody can relate to that. But what is the best way that, or any methods that you've used with your own students or in, in your own pursuits as to make sure that you don't skip over those steps and, and kind of make it interesting as you go along? I know it's, it's complicated for a lot of people because they do, you know, I'm trying to learn some programming myself and I'd love to just sit down and code a, a cool game that somebody could play right away, but, you know, I'm not really there yet. So uh, how do you make all those little tiny steps that aren't so interesting, maybe <laughs> kind of more interesting to people like your students, for instance? Yeah, I guess there's a lot of different ways. First, it's important to be, be patient, to take your time, to enjoy the process. Uh, I think oftentimes we're trying to rush to finish a product. Uh, whether that is, you know, learning a new song or uh, writing an essay or solving a multiple step math word problem, you know, you have to work through the process. And I find that the students, even if they're quite good at, say, calculations, they're going to make mistakes if they're trying to rush their way through this word problem that has multiple steps they have to interpret. They have to calculate and then come back and plug those numbers back into the original problem and then re, uh, reorient themselves. And oftentimes I'll see students who just do the first step and then get a number and then think they're done, right? So being, being patient and also enjoying that process, like, uh, like it's a game, like it's a puzzle, um, especially in math class. I tell that to my students all the time, like, if you can learn to enjoy engaging in challenge, then you'll never get bored. You'll always be able to chase your interests. And um, yeah, the same thing with playing guitar. Uh, I enjoy practicing scales because it's, like it's like a game. You know, can I do it a little bit better? Can I do it a little bit faster? Can I do it a little bit more consistently? Um, and some people maybe overdo it in that way, or maybe that's just, you know, the goal that they're looking towards. Uh, also being able to improvise, being able to make mistakes, being, uh, like you were talking about before, growth mindset, being comfortable with taking risks is also really important to learning new things and developing skills to getting from where you're first starting at a new thing, then you're terrible at it to actually being proficient. The gamification of it, you know, I think is the buzzword uh, that I hear is pretty important. And, you know, I, I, before I even I've heard that term, you know, we've all been in some situation probably that we're doing something mundane, we're doing something kind of normal, but it, it, it became its own pursuit in and of itself, you know, whether that would be 
some kind of uh, simple problem or like a scale like you were mentioning before. And you just tried to see if you could do it a little bit better. So it's kind of, you have a big goal that you'd like to accomplish and breaking it down into smaller pieces and then not rushing through those steps and trying to enjoy the process in each step and getting a little bit better at the same time while you do that uh, so that it can lend itself you, you know, to better accomplishing your end goal. Yeah, finding different ways to enjoy it. I think that that is uh, always really important because if you don't enjoy it, even if you're trying to focus on the fundamentals and really get them down, you're just going to be beating your head against a wall. It's just going to be grueling if you don't find something you enjoy about it. Like, you know, I love hiking. Like walking up a mountain is great. Uh, but I've gone with people who want to be at the top of that mountain and they don't really enjoy the walk along the way and they're complaining, it's hot, I'm sweating, there's mosquitoes, da, 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 da. And I'm like, this is such a beautiful place. Like, look at that tree right there. Wow, there's a really big ant. What is it doing? Oh, you know, like just be present in the moment, be curious, enjoy the process. And once you, you know, work on all these skills, take all those small steps, you will have achieved your goal and you will have enjoyed every step of the way. Yeah, it's almost as if the uh, the time crunch or your our own vision of how long something should take kind of gets in our own way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's unfortunate. But yeah, it, it's nice to have time when you do have time to do something, but uh, it's not always the case. Uh, I'd like to go back for a minute and um, ask you a little bit about you know, more about your background and, and how it kind of influences your teaching. You said that, you know, being a musician um, and listening to people closely does relate directly to um, teaching and, and how it is kind of reading people in the situation. Uh, I just wonder if you could share any more about that or any specific challenges maybe that you've faced um, in the past. And, and it doesn't have to be necessarily with inside the classroom. I mean, I'm, I'm trying to think about it from multiple angles. Yeah, inside the classroom, um, obviously just making eye contact with your students, your audience, knowing uh, where they are, gauging their facial expressions, uh, checking in on their work, seeing what they're doing, what they're thinking, like frequent formative checks just to gauge their progress. But then also more, uh, more formal checks, you know, uh, getting them to do like a quick, quiz, jot something down, an exit ticket or entrance ticket, have doing like quizzes, projects, assessments, especially when they're doing like a bigger long-term project. You can't just give the students an assignment. No matter how clear you think you're being, they will inevitably find ways to uh, interpret things differently. So, uh, which can be really great and really creative and really amazing. Like, wow, I didn't, uh, I didn't foresee anyone to interpret this assignment in this particular way, but that that's fantastic. Yeah, you're, you're nailing it. Roll with it. That's great. Uh, but then other times they might veer off into the weeds and get a little bit lost. So being there to check in on students is uh, really important. And I guess uh, the same thing like with a band, um, obviously uh, any sort of creative pursuit that is collaborative, um, you do have to pay attention to people. You do have to make compromises. You'd have to listen, pay attention, focus, um, respond. Like you can't just be like, this is my part and this is the way I wrote it and this is the way I'm going to play it. Because if the drummer is playing a beat that's like slightly different uh, than you were anticipating, maybe it doesn't quite mesh well together. Um, so maybe you do need to adjust it, right? Uh, and then oftentimes in collaborative endeavors, we uh, forget the importance of doing homework. Uh, students hate homework, but I've noticed so do musicians. <laughs> We've had band practices where everybody shows up. All right, guys, uh, we said we were going to start this new song uh, two weeks ago. We said today's the day. So everybody ready? And some people are like, can we uh, listen to the recording again? Um, I just want to check on this. Yeah, okay. Well, let's, uh, let's start slow. So doing homework is uh, really important as well. That's a problem probably across the board um, for anyone. And really, in my mind, it's, 
more of an issue of time management um, in some cases. And then in other cases, you know, it just, it may be interest levels. Um, how interested are you in this thing and how focused are you on it based on that and uh, the priority it has in your mind, right? So, you know, when you're a student or even when you're a professional, you know, an, an adult juggling many responsibilities, uh, it's hard to commit the time. And, you know, I find for myself, you know, I can only find a few hours maybe each day to do any one thing typically. Yeah. So uh, when it's divided up, so much, you know, it's high, it's kind of hard to see, keep that end goal in mind and stay motivated all at the same time, you know, and then you're coming in and you're, somebody else is kind of evaluating, you know, your progress and you're like, Look, I only spent like 30 minutes on this. Like, and they're like, yeah, I know. <laughs> I can tell. <laughs> so it's, it's tricky. I mean, are there any things that you try to tell your students or, um, you know, yourself maybe? Whenever you do find your yourself in those tricky situations where there's not a lot of time, you know that the, yeah. the interest might be low or whatever, but you do see it as a priority. Mm. Yeah, yeah. I think when we were younger, or at least when I was younger, they didn't teach a lot of these soft skills like collaboration and communication and uh, how to think creatively or or critically. They would teach you content and through the content learning and the assignments, you would hopefully uh, pick up on all these skills, organization and time management and these things, but they weren't very explicitly taught. And one of the things that I think is improving in, in our education uh, globally, um, and certainly at the international schools that I've been privy to, is they really do try to teach these organization um, skills more explicitly. And uh, I mean, for me, we've we've talked about uh, using organizational uh, methods and technologies, um, checklists and calendars and blocking out specific time for specific tasks. If you know you have a deadline to when you are going to perform, um, gauging the progress along the way. I was just talking to these students from uh, Kazakhstan who go to an IB school there, and they were saying like, yeah, we're constantly needing to do reflections and, you know, check in on progress on these big projects. And sometimes it seems like a waste of time because like, I, kn I know what the project is. Just let me do it, teacher. But actually, I see the value in it and uh, constantly reflecting and gauging our progress because it's not just about getting that product done, but like understanding how we learn and how we work and how we can be more efficient or more creative or better at collaborating or better at managing our time and like stopping to do that, that little tedious work of reflecting can be uh, really useful. I think you said you've been doing like weekly and monthly reflections on your schedule, right? Yeah, I've been doing that for uh, probably a couple of years at least, maybe, maybe a little bit longer if I actually look back in the backlog. <laughs> I started with a bullet journal and then uh, I moved on to digital because I realized uh, that's just not my style. Um, so now I'm pretty much using Notion exclusively for um, storing all of my things that I come across and kind of organizing this aspect of my life where it's I'm reflecting weekly and monthly. And then every once in a while, I'll go through and try to zoom all the way out and Big look picture me like five or 10 years down the road and think, what what might I be doing? Mm. Um, so, and I found it really it's it's helpful. It's it's made me realize a lot of different things along the road, um, such as I tend to do too many things. I try to do too many things. I spread myself thin. Um, I know I'm not the only one that does that, mm. but uh, I'm trying to get better at focusing on fewer things and trying to make those things uh, a little bit more meaningful for for myself. Mm. And uh, yeah, I, I say I'm really happy with my life right now. And I don't know if that's a direct cause uh, <laughs> from that those reflections. Mm. Uh, but yeah, I'm in a good place now. So I'm going to continue this strategy. Yeah, it can be kind of hard finding a balance between the, like, the over-structuring and over-organizing and then just like letting things happen free form. Because uh, you do want to leave space 
I mean, we were kind of talking about that earlier, like finding the enjoyment, finding the creativity, like being comfortable making mistakes. Uh, I was talking to some students in Korea last week about how important it is to to have that space to be curious and how, therefore, boredom is actually a really valuable creative asset. Like, as a teacher, as an adult, uh, you know, I hear teenagers say, like, oh, I'm bored. And, like, my immediate response is, like, derision. Like, oh, well, then you're obviously not looking because there's so much fascinating stuff all around you. Like, just look right in front of you. The world is an amazing, interesting place. Engage with it, kid. But having that space provided by boredom, like, it lets you unfocus. It lets you kind of let go and leave room for something to come into your view that might snag your curiosity. I see kids who say they're bored then suddenly get really interested in anime or programming or, you know, basketball or music or whatever it is, but like they find something that can fill that void. And if they never let themselves get to that state of of deprivation, of boredom, if they just constantly fill their time with YouTube and with chatting online, not that there's anything inherently wrong with them, but if they constantly fill all of their space, they would never have that room for boredom, that room to become curious. So balance between structure and, uh, I don't know, freedom, disorder. Yeah, and that's something else that I've I've tried to be mindful of as well as I... Um, organizing my life and trying to get everything in little blocks or fit it into my schedule. And I wanted to fit everything into my schedule. Um, you know, I soon realized that's not possible. And then on top of that, I was trying to be so structured about it that, um, I no longer, you know, my partner's telling me like, well, you don't spend as much time, uh, doing anything with us or, um, spend spend a time doing other things, and uh, I, I had a few people that did the is I don't know it's kind of a hokey book. It's an old book now, but uh, the Artist Way was recommended to me a while ago. Yeah, I read through that a little bit with you. Yeah, and uh, and we did that, and you know one of the one of the things that was uh, suggested to anyone going through that was that you take time specifically during the week just to do. A hobby or to go out and what I would do typically was go out and sketch something. Mm. And I'd never done, I hadn't done that so long. It's like yeah. years I, since I was, I was a kid. Yeah. I don't even know why. Like it, it's sad. <laughs> <laughs> it's sad to think about that. Like why? Why hadn't I? Yeah. But it's super important to, to not be so structured sometimes or at least block out time where you can allow yourself to be bored. Well, I was thinking about that, and I just don't think that works very well. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I, I think you, you should block out time where you can just have free time or whatever, but mm. your, your whims and your inspiration don't go according to a clock or a schedule, right? I think maybe better is to have a structure, but be willing to toss it aside if the inspiration strikes you. You know, like we, we wrote a lot of songs together and we've written songs, everything from uh, totally improvising and just recording and writing down what we said and what we did and then doing that again until we've learned that, even though it was entirely improvised. Man, it took an incredible amount of time. It's <laughs> actually effort. more difficult than it sounds. Yeah. And, but then we've done the opposite, which is like we have a very clear idea of a very clear message and style and certain patterns and trends we want to include and ideas and like particular words and phrases and uh, images. And then we structure that all very carefully into, you know, a, a composition. And that, and that can be great too. Uh, but I think some of, for me, some of the songs that are closest to my heart are the ones that came up very spontaneously, but not necessarily because I was sitting there trying to improvise, but because it just kind of uh, 
it just flowed out. Um, when I wrote or when I started writing Deep Like You, Stinky Tofu, um, I was actually working on another song and Deep Like You just jumped the queue and I just had to write it down. And then after I did, I went back to that first song that nothing ever came of. It wasn't that good. But I brought Deep Like You to you and you're like, oh, that's really cool. Let me see what I can do on the drum. And that was it. And it became an amazing song. Um, oftentimes I get this sort of inspiration when, uh, when riding a scooter or bicycle or taking a walk. Uh, I, a lot of people say this, but it's true. I think when you're partially distracted by some task that's not super engaging and that's not taking your your musical or linguistic faculties, it can free up your mind because it like loosens the control that your prefrontal cortex is exerting on your brain. It allows you to be less controlling and that allows you to be more inspired. And it doesn't happen most of the time. But if you never leave space for that to happen, then it will happen none of the time. If you leave space for it to happen, Sometimes it just happens. You can't force it either, right? Yeah, I'd have to say, unfortunately, I agree. Even though I do try to block, I, I put it on my calendar where it's like no work time. Yeah. You know, I specifically do this intentionally because otherwise I may end up being in the studio seven days a week and then it would just become a slog. Right. But uh, yeah, I, I, there's no way to actually tell when that's going to happen. And right. I've heard multiple people, you know, great minds, for instance, that will do mundane tasks just to take their mind off of whatever they normally do at work. And this tends to be the time where they have some great idea and they, they know that that's happening and they continue to do the mundane thing rather than pay somebody else to do it or right. avoid it or whatever it is. And uh, kind of embarrassingly, uh, might as well say it on the the very first, um, you know, interview here. But my wait, this is the first interview. <laughs> yeah, oh, really? First one. <laughs> oh, I feel very honored. I thought you'd done some before this. Well, now you know. Oh, wow. <laughs> but my 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 favorite mundane time is actually when I'm in the bathroom. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know why, but uh, that takes my mind off of whatever the thing is. And I tend to have uh, great inspiration in those moments. Yeah, I definitely have some recordings of uh, song ideas and lyrics that have a, a particular kind of reverb. <laughs> <laughs> it's uh, ridiculous how that works, but um, apparently that does. It is effective. <laughs> yeah, that or walking or biking, driving, cooking, gardening. Yeah, things that take part of your attention and let the rest just drift. Yeah, there's there's other ways too. Like, um, interestingly, Thomas Edison and Salvador Dali had really similar methods of uh, accessing inspiration. Um, Salvador Dali had like a, a bag full of, uh, I don't know, metal bits or paintbrushes or something. And uh, Thomas Edison had like a can of nuts and bolts, but they would both sit back in their chair and fall asleep, nap and drop the thing. And bam, right when it hit, they had just started to fall asleep and it gave them like new inspiration and in whatever project they were working on. But actually, that kind of reminds me of um, George Carlin. People assume that George Carlin like did a lot of drugs or whatever because he's a crazy, rambling madman. But actually, he said in the, the latter part of his life, which was the majority of his uh, comedian career, uh, at least in, in terms of being in the spotlight, he barely did anything. He said he would work for hours and hours and days and weeks on a comedy set, and then he would take one single toke and just be in a different frame of mind and rework and revise things. But he said, like, if he was smoking all the time, there's no way he would have been able to be that creative. Uh, he needed to put in the hard work and then let it be free. It's like, you know, Pablo Picasso, amazing painter. You can look at his paintings and be like, yeah, whatever. I mean, it's not that anybody could do that. But what you don't see when you just look at, you know, like his blue period pieces like the the guy playing the classical guitar 
you don't see the like the days and the months and the years where he refined his realistic painting to a point where it's almost photorealistic and he could paint like amazing landscapes and portraits at the age of like 17 that just blow you out of the water and he learned all these other different styles along the way so like when he's innovating with you know cubism you know you, you think oh anybody could do that but you can't he had these skills refined and then he experimented off that it's like you have to learn the rules before you break them according to Nietzsche. That definitely relates to what we were saying before about breaking things into small parts and like taking your time with it. And uh, you even brought up, you know, when we were making uh, a few of our, uh, one of our albums at least exclusively was just off of improvised material. And I noted that that took a lot of time. Mm. Um, I think that's not really understood by um, many people whenever they enter some new pursuit, they, they, they begin a project, for instance, that's new to them. I, I continuously find that they underestimate the time or money, uh, whatever, <laughs> many aspects of it, because they think like I can get from A to Z, you know, in X amount of time, effort, money, whatever it is. Mm. And it's usually just way off and that is why you're trying typically you're going to try to hire somebody else to help you do the projects to save you a lot of this headache because they can try to navigate you in a certain way or help you go in a certain direction or give you a tool a suggestion to get the job done in the least <laughs> amount of frustration possible hopefully and in, help you enjoy the process a little bit more um i don't know what are your thoughts on on just things taking time. And, um, you know, that is the one resource, you know, that we're so limited on. Yeah. I, I mean, I feel like the entire economy has shifted already, uh, from one that's based on goods to one that's based on services to one that's based on attention. And of course we still have goods and services, but like the, the biggest players in our global marketplace are these giant tech companies like Google and Apple and, all these mass Facebook, all these massive companies that are vying for our attention, for our engagement, selling us to advertisers. And so it's like, where do you put your attention? Where do you put your effort? When do you stop putting in effort? Like, how do you make these judgments when you're only on this earth for a hundred years? And that's only if you're really, really lucky. Uh, how do you evaluate, prioritize, um, make these decisions. And I don't know, I guess I've always tried to do what's best for me and the people I love to make uh, decisions based on what I enjoy and not just in some like uh, simple, immediate hedonistic way, but like what brings me joy and satisfaction. Like the past few years, uh, we switched from teaching at the Bushibans, uh, teaching uh, English to uh, working at an international school. And the the hours are way, way more. Uh, it's, it's a lot more work. It's a lot more difficult. We're very integral in the community. Uh, we don't just see these kids for a couple of hours a week. Like we're with them uh, a lot. And we really have to help them learn and grow not just in terms of content and the metacognitive skills and organizational skills we were talking about before, but like socially, you know, and as, as human beings, um, it's a lot more work, it's a lot more responsibility, uh, it's a lot more time. I mean, we're working like 45, 55, 60 hours a week, uh, depending. And sometimes that doesn't leave a lot of extra time outside. But at the same time, I feel like I've never been so fulfilled. It is really meaningful. It is really gratifying to, to pour your heart and soul into something, into a community, into your passion, um, especially when you feel like you're helping others, which, I mean, what profession more than teaching or maybe medicine? Um, but it is really, truly, profoundly rewarding. Um, even if it from day to day, it may be difficult or painful, 
um, overall, I feel quite fulfilled in this service. You know, they say the best thing you can do to help yourself is to help others. And I see oftentimes um, a lot of my friends that struggle the most um, with mental health, depression, anxiety, uh, with finding meaning or with physical ailments. Oftentimes, my friends who struggle the most are the ones that I notice are the best helpers, the people who really put themselves out there and are always willing to lend a hand whenever a need arises. These are the people that uh, are always there. And I think it's because they've come to realize that in this short time we have on earth, the best thing you can spend your time doing is something that you enjoy, something that is uh, helping others. Yeah, well put. Now for a short break from our sponsor. Hey there, my AI friend. How can I help you today? Hey there, Craig. I'm looking for some audio assistance for a commercial. I need top-notch voiceovers, captivating sound effects, and catchy music. It needs to stand out and grab the attention it deserves. Perfect. I'll find the right balance. Any preferences for the sound effects or music? I trust your expertise, Craig. Something uplifting and catchy that matches the tone and creates an emotional connection. Surprise me with your audio wizardry. Got it. Catchy, uplifting music. You can count on me. Thanks, Craig. How long will it take? I'm as quick as a caffeinated cheat on a mission. Done before you know it. Ha ha, you brighten my day. Can't wait to hear it. And to all you awesome folks out there who need top-notch audio production, whether it's voiceovers, sound effects, or that perfect background music, don't hesitate to reach out. Visit my website at ideafield.pro or shoot me an email at dream at ideafield.pro. Let's bring your audio dreams to life. Together, we'll create magic. And now back to the discussion with Travis McDonald. Kind of continuing on the the idea of of time, um, if we look on the the inverse of that, where you know helping others would be the time that you want to spend, what about the things that you try to avoid? Or like even when you're talking to students, um, you know, I, I'm assuming your colleagues as well. Um, are there any things that you're trying to intentionally avoid just so as not to you know, distract yourself to pull yourself into that, you know, is kind of a trap, uh, where you would feel less gratified, but you know that you would want to do it. I guess there's always the, uh, impulse to just complain. It feels very satisfying to find faults with others, find faults with situations, uh, to blame, and to whine and to complain, it, it's very immediately satisfying. It certainly seems to release endorphins and it, it brings people together, especially if you have mutual complaints. Um, so I'm not trying to say that I'm above complaining, uh, but I think that um, it can be overdone. I think that you should be careful not to overindulge in complaining. I think that uh, you know, as a very, like, I'd like to think of myself, although I'm very emotional, as like a very logical, rational person. Uh, I think I made the mistake a lot when I was younger um, of people who were uh, coming to me. I, I was thinking they were asking for advice. And sometimes people do, sure. And that's great. And then you can tell them like, well, here's the way I see it. Here's what you've done. And here are your options. And, you know, what, what are you trying to get out of this? Like, what do you think would work best to achieve your goals here? But oftentimes people aren't looking for advice. They're just looking to have a release. They're looking to uh, get something off their chest. They're looking to share. They want to be heard. They want to feel connected, like their experience matters, independent of problem solving, coming up with solutions. They want to feel like their experience matters. So there, there certainly is value in focusing on the negative, as it were. I think uh, human beings are very well programmed to emphasize the problems that we face, because if we don't, then we would never solve them. But if we only try to solve them, then we're missing out on this opportunity for connection. But anyway, all that is a prelude to say that if you never do try to seek solutions, 
then you're just going to wallow in complaints and sorrow and self-pity and blame and not take responsibility or ownership for your decisions um, or just accept the circumstances that have occurred that you can't really change um, so that you can really recognize where you are and move forward from there. So I'd say I do try to listen to people when they complain. Um, I think that's important. If it's appropriate, I do try to offer solutions and try to see if they are open to that sort of approach to the situation, trying to solve it. Um, but either way, I do try to steer uh, and reframe things in a positive light. I don't think you should ignore the negatives because then you're never going to solve problems. But I think if you only focus on the negatives, you're missing so much of the good that is what gets you through, what you enjoy, what you're doing it for. Because there's always going to be problems um, no matter where you are or what you're doing. Like with Stinky Tofu, um, when we had our computers set up with our MIDI controllers and synchronizing any, everything, running so many cables. I think the fastest time we ever had setting up was like 20 minutes. Yeah, we kind of made it a game at one point where we were timing it just to see what we could set it up in the least amount of time at one point. And it, it was difficult. It was challenging. It was time consuming. Uh, and then we had frequent technical problems, um, pro recurring problems sometimes, but more often novel problems. We didn't know what was wrong and uh, trying to figure that out. It, it was frustrating at times and it could have been really demoralizing if we didn't take this uh, positive approach to it that we are learning, we're growing, we're, we're doing new things and that anytime you're engaging in a new pursuit, you're going to have problems and obstacles. But every time you solve a problem or obstacle, you've learned something new that, you know, a valuable skill that you'll be able to use again in the future. And you've solved a puzzle and like you've, you've beat the game and it's amazing, right? And uh, being able to reframe things and look at the positives of it, like the music that came out of it just made all of those issues totally worth it each and every time we practiced it was just so absolutely rewarding um so yeah the same thing talking to students at school uh if they're having a fight with their friends and they're just really uh pissed at them and you know the other person just can't do anything right like sure yeah like let them complain have their say but like at the end of the day they need to know that this person is their dear friend and they care about them very much and they can't lose sight of that that good thing you know yeah i hear you so uh not focusing on the the negative aspects of it try to focus on uh rather the ways in which you can solve change the situation and that kind of boils down to what's in your control and what's not in your control and what you're valuing and kind of what you're choosing not to value at any given moment. And uh, I know that's especially hard whenever you're, um, you're possibly whenever you're younger uh, to make those kinds of decisions. And even as we get older, um, things do get complicated. So it's always difficult to, to, to juggle everything that we have going on and decide what is really important. So it's nice to have a reminder uh, that it's not good to dwell on those, those negative things. Although I did like, uh, did you see Pixar um, Inside Out? I don't think I saw that one. Oh, it's a good one. So in the movie, this girl has this anthropomorphic cast of characters in her head who represent each of her emotions. There's, you know, joy and anger and there's, forget her, sadness or sorrow. But anyway, when she was a little kid, like, she, she would... Uh, only want to be happy all the time. And anger was usually not very productive or helpful. And, you know, sorrow was usually fairly fleeting. But as she became a teenager, sorrow was intervening more and more and more. And like everybody, all the characters in her head thought it was a really bad thing. Like, oh, no, she's breaking her brain. She's ruining her social connections or whatever. Uh, but ultimately, spoiler, Sorrow really helped her connect with her family and with her friends um, 
when you're able to be vulnerable and let yourself, you know, open up, share your fears and your worries, share your sorrows with another person, um, it can really bring you closer together. Yeah, definitely can bond through those those moments, and then hopefully we can kind of uh, see through through that and uh, identify the ways that maybe we can move past it together. Hmm. Being together, that is really crucial. Feeling like you're not alone, right? Yeah, we're not alone right now, so glad to have you here. <laughs> glad to be here. All right, so I know we've we've talked, you know, skirting around all kind of different <laughs> topics of, from from teaching, and we're also talking about creativity and uh, ver- various project types and interpersonal relationships, organization. I'd like to kind of talk about, you know, inspiring creativity, um, you know, whether that be in your instruction or the people that you're around, and how do you how do you view encouraging like self-expression and how do you really embrace diverse perspectives uh, that are just around you in your environment, whether that's a complex environment and international, you know, school situation, I'm sure moving around the place to place. Right, right, right. Uh, so I was just in Korea with a bunch of students for this uh, academic competition, which was really cool. But uh, one of the coolest parts of it was that um, there were kids from all these different countries around the world, uh, and they're all competing against each other and also working together on certain things. Um, so it was it was really interesting to get all these different ideas and perspectives and cultures, uh, languages and clothing, traditions and food. Um, they had this big cultural fair, and everybody had set up a table. Each school set up their own table where they had snacks and food and games and toys. And they had uh, stickers and flags and uh, all sorts of things. And they would share about their culture um, and talk about it. And it, it was a really fascinating experience seeing all these different kids and teachers and parents, like um, people of different ages. Um, even some grandparents were there. Like, sharing their experiences. And that was really, really cool. Uh, As a teacher, you know, oftentimes uh, uh, I was teaching middle school science and math. So oftentimes I would just be meeting with the math department or the science department. But it it was often really instructive and interesting to get the perspectives of different math and science teachers who are teaching like different subject specialties and different grades and ages. Um, And they might have an idea that totally wouldn't work for my younger students, but actually, wait a minute, if I changed and modified in this way, actually, that could be really cool. Let me, let me try. How would you do this? If you, and they're like bouncing things back and forth, you get all sorts of ideas um, that you wouldn't necessarily have thought of before. And then especially working with teachers in different subjects and disciplines, you get like totally different perspectives. And, you know, oftentimes it's, it's not that useful, but like sometimes, sometimes like bringing together ideas from different subjects and different areas, um, can be really, really fascinating. Like, you know, I'll do a STEM project where we're uh, making a windmill and it has to like lift a certain weight. Um, and that's cool and that's engaging and that's interesting. But just by adding a little bit more, um, they're talking about uh, like a, generating electricity um, in rural communities and doing these sorts of projects in their social studies class. And so talking to their social studies teacher, like reorient this entire STEM project uh, to say, like, there's this NGO in Bolivia, in South America, and um, they went out there and trained these local kids to build this windmill, and then they used the wind energy to pump up fresh water from the well, and then the instances of disease have gone significantly down, and then it, like, helps the entire community, and it improves their agriculture, and, like, so the entire situation has changed. And just with this, like, little bit of introduction and reflection at the end, um, uh, making these connections between what they're learning in social studies and, and what they're doing in science, it makes it much more meaningful and, and profound than if we had just done this STEM activity by itself, cool though it was. So like working with different people in different fields, industries, and expertise can be really fascinating. You get all sorts of different ideas, especially now so many of us are doing so much online, um, the world has become 
digital. Uh, so many people do have all sorts of life hacks and experiences uh, working online um, that can transcend uh, fields and genres that can be really helpful, useful, and interesting. I'm sure you found that working online, doing music production stuff a lot. Yeah. Um, I mean, the first thing that comes to mind was, is really just another music project, um, you know, kind of my main interest for a long time. But uh, another collaborator, which you're familiar with, Pete in Tainan, and uh, he's great at kind of bringing in those different aspects or perspectives of things. And actually him and another um, uh, person you've also met who's also named Pete, Peter, uh, they have a project and uh, a yeah. website, and I'll try to put it up in the uh, notes so you can go check it out. But they've done a great job of, you know, making, uh, I believe they have a couple of these uh, concept albums out now. And what's really cool about it is there's a story to actually follow along with, right? So they've gone and, and made images for each track. Mm. They've, uh, you know, elaborated somewhat of, the story that's going on and then there's music to accompany that. Um, I don't know exactly what that format is other than a concept album, I think is the most traditional thing that we're familiar with. Mm. Um, but yeah, it's like storytelling kind of, and, and, and kind of sounds like you're infusing that in the classroom with these STEM projects is getting uh, students to think interdisciplinary, uh, think across disciplines. Mm -hmm to make things just more interesting. I remember, you know, in class that was definitely missing. Yeah. <laughs> it, it just didn't, whenever I went to school, I mean, um, and even when I'm teaching now, I find frequently there, there's just not a lot of relation to some real world thing that's going on right now when I'm teaching about grammar structures, for instance. Yeah, for sure. But you can make <laughs> anything relevant to anything if you just make a, a few associations or connections. Um, we did a really cool interdisciplinary unit um, at my old school a few years ago with the eighth grade um, with science, social studies, English, and math. And in, in uh, science, we were learning about waves. So we talked about earthquakes um, and we got a bit into the geology of it um, and the, the mechanics of earthquakes and how they propagate and the effects that they have. And in social studies, they were talking about the the effects of um, disasters and disaster mitigation um, and disaster mitigation technology and these things. And so they had to come up with this project uh, where they developed their own disaster mitigation or relief uh, technology. Um, and they had to write about it in English and they had to calculate things about it in math. And also we were tracking the actual earthquakes that were occurring in Taiwan and we were tracking them upon multiple different variables like time of day um, and month and location and depth um, and magnitude and all sorts of different things. And we had different groups collecting all these different data subsets and we aggregated them together as a class so that we could see the trends in the earthquakes in Taiwan. And they like put all this together and they came up with some really cool projects from like drones that use like infrared cameras to identify people in rubble um, so that they can be saved because they talk about how, uh, you know, a significant portion of casualties occur like in the few minutes or hours after a disaster. Um, so if you can identify them really quickly, uh, then you're able to actually save lives and, you know, kids designing these beds that will like fold in and protect you in the event of a an earthquake based on a certain, you know, like, don't kick the bed too hard or you're going to get trapped inside. Um, and, you know, all these pod houses and things uh, to set up as temporary shelters afterwards that would be more stable um, and enduring than the a lot of the shelters that they actually use. And so they're actually looking at, you know, disaster relief efforts in, in Haiti a few years ago and in um, Nepal, looking at real things that people are actually doing and uh, seeing ways that they could utilize that in different situations, like uh, for tsunami relief, uh, as opposed to an earthquake and also looking at like different modifications that they could do. And then they're presenting it in this shark tank style, like competitive uh, presentation. And it was, it was really, really cool. And all of that was, you know, thanks to the 
the merging of these disciplines. Uh, and it was all very super real world. So the kids were really interested in it because um, it was actually very applicable. Uh, this is stuff that's really happening. Um, and yeah, reaching beyond your silos, I think is really important. I think the uh, Enlightenment era, uh, at least in you know Europe, was very... Uh, everyone can do anything. And like, if, if you have the patrons or the money to do it, like you can be a master of medicine and of art and of engineering, like Leonardo da Vinci, right? Um, and then into the industrial age of the late 19th and through to the late 20th century, we've become very like specialized and everybody has a tiny little niche, but nobody's really an expert on any field because everybody is so niche that like you only have your little focus. Um, I think that to a large degree, we still have that. Everything is so very specialized um, that having a specialty is, is very valuable. You can be better than anyone else in the world at one very specific thing, right? Um, but I, I think that having this more general knowledge is, is really useful, being able to um, draw from programming and from music and from painting and architecture and from history and and to be able to synthesize these things together it will be very useful in every field and that's why i think it's really great that we do have such a a solid uh emphasis on general education um like in the american education system we have to take all these gen ed courses and a lot of students complain like oh why do i have to take a history course i'm i want to become a microbiologist and it's like well maybe you should learn a little bit about the history of microbiology and how it was used in germ warfare and like you know if you don't learn about how the colonists were giving smallpox blankets to the native americans maybe you'll end up you know on some asteroid belt giving you know you know, biological warfare against some other faction of you know, humans in the distant future. Like, you know, these things, they repeat themselves and we need right. to be aware of all these different things and be able to bring them all together. I, I know we did uh, kind of cover like this work-life balance we were talking about uh, a little bit earlier where um, we do need a certain amount of downtime, you know, that creative time, just things take time, period. And we have to be willing to, to give things time. But uh, I wonder, just briefly, we could discuss, you know, the ways that you've kind of persevered over time and maintained interest and, and passion for the things that you're currently doing. And along with, you know, having multitudes of interests, you know, I know your, your background and what you studied and everything, I, I wouldn't imagine you as a younger Travis uh, being an international school teacher where you are now. I don't know if you ever saw yourself as that, but uh, if you could just speak to like, <laughs> that's a complex question, I realize, but <laughs> you know, like how do you, how do you balance everything in your life? Whether it's, it's work, you, you know, your personal life, your, your other interests, what do you, how do you see it? I don't think I balance my life very well. <laughs> I think that I throw myself wholeheartedly into one or a few things and then let other things languish. Um, and sometimes that's detrimental and sometimes that's unfortunate. But I think sometimes it's okay. It's okay to become obsessed with something. It's okay to put everything you got into something um, if that's what it takes to get you to your goal, to where you want to be. Um, I think it's okay to be a little bit uh, imbalanced, right? Everything in moderation, even moderation itself uh as Seamus was just saying to me yesterday <laughs> uh our mutual friend Seamus who's also a musician Seamus Manley he's great um yeah I, I think that my music has suffered uh the last few years I haven't been focusing on it as much um or at least in the last what year since uh Stinky Tofu since our last album came out uh, I have been very focused on work and role-playing games like Dungeons and Dragons and uh, a bunch of other really amazing games. Um, Stingers and Spores, our friend Calvin made this game and he's been for uh, us and others for, we've been playing the last two years. It's been amazing. It's this post-apocalyptic insect cowboy world. It's super cool. Anyway, I uh, actually, you and I got into uh, improvisation stuff um, through uh, Shrey. Um, A.K. Shrey, Shrey Vemdas, who's in uh, Canada right now, but used to live in Kaohsiung in Taiwan. 
um, we used to do some improv stuff, and that was really fun and really engaging. And this, the same reason that I really enjoy improvising in music, I really enjoyed improv comedy. I thought it was very fun. Um, and so when I moved up to Shinju, there wasn't really anything like that. Uh, but we had um, done a little bit of gaming, uh, Dungeons and Dragons, with uh, Brian Casper and with Dan Daliao as our game masters. Um, and so I got very into gaming and it's really fun because you're, you're acting, you're like taking on these characters and you're doing collaborative story writing, working together to like further a plot. And, um, a lot of my game masters are very, like very, very talented, very, uh, really just, uh, amazing at these world building things. And so, um, they've created really open sandboxes where you can do literally anything that is possible and they will roll with it. You can, they have a whole scenario set up and you're like, no, I think I want to go and farm carrots in the mountains outside of town. And they're like, okay, sure. We'll go outside of town. Let me think about that. Okay, sure. Let's go. And uh, just very responsive. So uh, throwing myself into that has been a, a big creative outlet outside of work, outside of teaching, um, which takes up the vast majority of my time. But I, I still really enjoy uh, playing music and I do fairly often. I just haven't been putting as much emphasis um, on it. I've just been really playing for enjoyment. Like whenever I want to, I just pick up my guitar and I, I play a song. Sometimes I just play a song. I didn't know that was possible when I was younger, but sometimes I just play a single song. I don't have to play for hours. Um, and I, I've kept a guitar in my classroom. So I'll like play between classes. I'll play during break time. The kids really love it. And so I've, I've just been really enjoying the music playing, but I haven't been writing as much. I've written a few songs in the last uh, year or two, yeah, year or so, um, but I haven't really performed them much or recorded them or done much with them. You know, ultimately I would like to do, but I guess it hasn't been an immediate goal. So uh, yeah, how to find a balance in your life. It's a challenge for sure. And I, I don't think that you'll ever be quite 100% there. I think just like uh, trying to juggle, you're always going to be, you know, reaching out a little further than you expected. You're going to drop your balls from, you know, from time to time, have to pick it up, switch it out, substitute for a, a club or a flaming chainsaw. Um, <laughs> you know, just as long as you're enjoying it, as long as you have goals and you're working towards them as long as you have connections you have passions i think uh, i think you're doing all right yeah for sure and uh kind of last question is um you know can you share any highlights or key principles or strategies and lessons that maybe you've learned that you could tell somebody else like a new um uh, somebody learning a new instrument for instance or like what you would give as advice to a student um, that could help somebody learning something new? What's the most important things to focus on other than take it slow? And like I, we were saying earlier. Yeah, be patient, be forgiving, be willing to make mistakes, celebrate small successes, set realistic goals, and celebrate when you achieve them. Uh, try to do a little bit more, a little bit better than you did before. And um, yeah, continually reassess, develop new goals, reflect on how you are achieving them, modify, uh, but enjoy it. Enjoy it as you do it. Like find the enjoyment, like learning a new instrument is uh, challenging. Learning anything new is difficult and you're probably going to be not very good at first. So, you know, like just imagine a little kid. I mean, you've seen a little kid playing a piano, um, like a five-year-old, they, they, who's not, you know, who's not taking lessons, who doesn't know how to play, they're just banging on it and they're loving it. It's great. Like, I'm not saying you should just bang on a piano your whole life long, but like have that level of enthusiasm for uh, experimenting and trying new and different things. Um, but also be, you know, be willing to uh, take advice and learn techniques and uh, seek help, seeking expertise, teachers, uh tutors, YouTube. I mean, I've talked to people who've learned so much on YouTube from, you know, fixing tractors or cars to learning guitar or learning to speak English. I've met people traveling who are like, I learned how to speak English from YouTube. I'm like, 
wow, that's amazing. Your English is better than my Chinese. And I've read lots of books and had teachers and still working on it. Uh, yeah. So different techniques, being open to seeking help, being patient with yourself, learning from your mistakes and enjoying the whole process along the way. Absolutely. Well, I've enjoyed this. Me too. So thanks for taking the time to come here, of course, Travis, and uh, share all of your things and your head and your experiences and all the advice that you've given everybody. And uh, you can look in the episode notes and there'll be any relevant links for this uh, discussion that we've had today, such as some of the music projects that we've referred to. So any last words, Travis? No, just, uh, yeah, thanks for inviting me to be here on your very first podcast. Very, very exciting. And I cannot wait to see what you do with it. Very excited. All right, Travis. Well, I'll keep you posted and look forward to uh, talking to you again soon. Bye. As I review this engaging conversation with Travis, I find myself reflecting on the multitude of insights and perspectives shared. The first takeaway that resonates with me is the power of allowing our minds to drift during everyday activities like walking, biking, or even cooking. It's during these seemingly mundane moments that inspiration often strikes, leading to creative breakthroughs and new perspectives. Secondly, the idea of interdisciplinary learning stands out as a crucial component in fostering innovation and a broader understanding of the world. By connecting different subjects and disciplines, we can create a rich tapestry of knowledge that enhances problem solving and allows for impactful collaborations. Lastly, Travis's reminder about finding balance and pursuing our passions struck a personal chord. In the midst of our busy lives, it's important to carve out time and dedicate ourselves to the things that bring us joy and fulfillment. Finding that balance between work, hobbies, and meaningful connections is a lifelong journey that requires conscious effort. So, as we conclude this episode of Field Talk, I encourage you to embrace moments of inspiration, seek out interdisciplinary connections, and prioritize finding that delicate equilibrium in your own life. Remember, these takeaways aren't just applicable to creatives or educators like Travis and myself, but to everyone seeking to live a purposeful and fulfilling life. Thank you for joining me on this episode of Field Talk. Please share it with fellow lifelong learners and curious minds and subscribe to get the latest episodes. I look forward to exploring more captivating topics in the next episode of Field Talk. Till next time. Stay creative.